session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Halakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Halakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or like my page, on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get to a caller, the book for this week is The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. The Happiness Trap, How to Stop Struggling and Start Living. Um, and so far, I've really enjoyed the book. It's my first time reading it. It was a recommendation by uh, Sahand, who has um, actually given me another book that was part of the Books of the Week, Why Do I Do That, um, along with Puya. So I appreciate the recommendation. It's a really interesting book looking at how um, our focus or feeling that we think we have to be happy all the time causes us a lot of trouble. Something we've talked about before in the show, the happiness obsession that we have in the world today, especially in the United States, and how it actually hurts us much more than it helps us. So I'll be discussing that book on next week's show. But let's get to a caller, um, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Hello. Uh, are you talk- Hello? Are yes, you hi. To me? Yes, I am talking to you. Thank you for calling. Thank you for seeing me. I would like to talk to you about the self-destructive behavior. Okay. Is this in um, relation to yourself? I know a person that is that way, okay. and I would like to know if we can do something for it. I mean, about this, if there's a cure for it. Well, you know, cure is a word that a lot of times in psychology we avoid because it's hard to uh, cure a lot of things that we're dealing with. If someone has anxiety, they probably will have anxiety their whole life. Yeah. Now, they can manage it better. They can work on it to make it more, uh, hurt them less. Yes, can you hear me? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Okay. Sure. Well, I was saying that in psychology, we don't often talk about cure because very often if someone is dealing with some kind of issue, let's say they have anxiety um, or uh, addiction, we don't think of it as a cure. We think of it as how they can learn to better manage it and deal with it but not exactly take it away. And on top of that, if you're saying it's for someone else, uh, there's only so much we can do in helping someone else, especially if they're not willing to help themselves, and even before that, recognizing that they have a problem to begin with. So can you tell me a little bit more about the situation? Who is this person and what's going on for them? Second, um, the person in question is... And uh, she has, I mean, been... 14 years old, like, uh, alcohol problems, um, bulimia, uh, drugs. You say, do you say bulimia? And, sorry? Sorry, like I was, like, the sound is not coming in. If you could speak much louder, it would be really helpful because it's hard to hear you. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, until where did you hear? I, I heard about 14 years of, I think, alcoholism, but I didn't hear who, it was the person your mom? 
yes, about the person I'm talking. It's my, it's, uh, okay. it's my sister. Oh, okay. it's your sister. Okay. And, and how old is she? Yes. 37. Okay. Okay. So you're saying she's dealing with alcoholism. What else? Uh, drugs. Uh-huh. Uh, bulimia. Mm-hmm. Anorexia. And pretty much it I mean, that's well that's already a lot and those are yeah. you know and especially you know when we talk about things like uh, eating disorders and addictions going to back to what I, going back to what I was saying about curing someone um, those are issues that really the person has to be ready to deal with their whole life like an, someone with an eating disorder and addiction can never just say okay I'm, I've I've cured myself I'm past it I never have to worry about it it's something that can always be there and can come back now um, does she accept that she has any of these issues, and has has she gotten any help? Well, yes, we, we've tried a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists, all of all of those uh, kind of people, but they could never really help her much. Mm-hmm. And she also takes a lot of different drugs. I mean, like medicine. Like, if you would like to hear the names of the medicine. I mean, you can. I mean, uh, th- that doesn't specifically we don't need to get into the specifics of what she's taking you can but it just seems like she's dealing with a lot and we you have to recognize that these problems are so big that they're not going to just go away and it, it could be a struggle to see her suffering but unfortunately that might be the reality of her situation looking at your own family history was there a history of physical abuse in the family growing up no not really physical abuse Okay, so there was some physical abuse from... Yeah. Yeah, she's also likely bipolar. Okay. Well, I mean, that definitely... Yeah, well, bipolar is a a serious mental illness that essentially requires medication, so she would have to take something. And so... Yeah, she does. She does? Yes, she does. Okay, well, that's good. Well... If you if you have bipolar disorder, you need uh, also something like a mood stabilizer, not just uh, the antidepressant. So um, it's very important for someone with bipolar disorder to be under the supervision of a psychiatrist. So I'm hoping she. She is. Okay, and the psychiatrist has diagnosed Doesn't her with bipolar help. disorder. Yes. Okay, yes, and okay, and my guess is if they've diagnosed her with bipolar disorder, they're not only giving her Prozac because someone with bipolar disorder uh, actually just giving them a antidepressant could cause what we what's called a manic switch where they can go from being depressed to becoming manic so um, my guess is my hope is that she's not just taking an antidepressant if she has bipolar disorder but that she is also taking some kind of mood stabilizer or other medications as well um, of course another issue here is when you talked about her Okay. Okay. Good. Um, but you're you're talking about self-destructive behavior, and someone dealing with addiction and with uh, eating disorders very likely is dealing with a lot of shame, meaning that they're very harsh and negative towards themselves, and maybe in the form of self-destructive behavior that you were talking about, might even believe they deserve to be punished or to be treated poorly by others and even themselves. And very likely they learned this from how other people treated them. That's why I was asking you about your parents and, and the way 
they treated you guys, because you mentioned some physical abuse from your father, uh, I'm not sure what else was going on, but it's likely that she sees herself in a negative way and almost thinks she deserves to be treated poorly and treats herself in that way. Well, you know, there, there could be a lot there when, when sometimes, I know you're saying her, the abuse wasn't significant, but we don't know exactly what she went through. But when that parent dies, um, what also dies with them is the possibility of resolving things with them or making things right. And so although someone might think, well, if the person hurt you and they died, maybe that's a good thing, it can trigger a lot of emotions and bring back a lot of the past pains. So if you saw her deteriorate after his death, it could be something like that going on. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, she can only help herself or you can only help her so much and she has to carry most of the weight to fix what's going on with her to help herself. How are you doing in your own life? Um, are, excuse me, did you say how I was doing my own life? Yeah, for you, for you yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm totally okay. I'm, I mean... I have no problems with any of the things happening in the past or anything. I just accept it and that's it. Okay. My sister has really just hung to the past. Okay. And I'm not just talking about the past. I mean, how is your life currently? How are you How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm actually fine. I just have a, a few problems in, in studies, but that's pretty much it. Okay. And we could talk about that. And the reason why I asked you that is, um, you know, you called about your sister, and of course I'm sure you care about her and, and want to help her, but oftentimes we can get caught up in other people's problems around us and then start to forget our own or neglect ourselves. So I was just checking in to see about that and to, for you to keep that in mind. Um, sometimes a member of the family becomes very either physically sick or mentally ill and the whole family can start to focus on them. Uh, we can call that the identified patient, like they're the person with the problems and then people can actually forget themselves and they might be neglecting their own lives and even use the other person as a distraction to avoid their own problems. This is, uh, in essence, the theme of codependency, where we can get focused on someone else's problem and taking care of them and trying to fix them and neglect ourselves. So I wanted you to think about that and make sure you're not doing that same thing with your sister. No, I'm, I'm pretty alright. Okay. I, okay. I have already solved my own problem. Okay, good. But I was just like to know, I mean, if, if there's a way to help her, you know, at least take a bit of this weight off her shoulders. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it, it seems like she's dealing with, dealing with some pretty serious stuff with the drug addiction, with the eating disorder, and with, um, you said, bipolar. And it's possible there's other things going on uh, because of how, my guess is her behavior is all over the place. When you say she has, you think she might have bipolar, it could be something else too. So we don't know exactly what's going on. You know, she needs a lot of help as far as, I would say, psychiatrists under constant care. She needs to go to therapy constantly, but She's you... Die, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, it just cuts sometimes. Can you just repeat your last sentence? Okay, sure. I was saying she should definitely be under the care of a psychiatrist and a psychologist getting ongoing regular treatment. And really, they must determine what's going on. Is it bipolar? Is it something else? Is it borderline personality disorder? Is it some other issue she's dealing with? And then she needs constant care. But I would, you know, from your standpoint, recognize that 
There's only so much you can do to help her. And she's dealing with a lot and it might not get better. You know, there, there isn't always this, uh, we hope that things will get better and they hopefully can get slightly better. But to think she's going to totally get over the past and become okay, it might not happen. And I know how you said you're over the past and she's still holding on to it. And I, yeah, also I'll just add this, you know, you're saying you feel like you've gotten over the past and she's still holding on to it and hung up on it. And maybe that's true. But in hearing you say that, I could feel in some degree a level of blaming her for what she's going through. And I'm not saying she's not responsible for herself and to take care of herself, but it does seem like she's severely ill. She's dealing with a lot. And we want to be careful not to blame her um, for what she's going through. It's not just her fault or her choice to be this ill and to go through everything she's going through. And two people can go through the same experience and come out of it very differently. And it's not always just about choice. And we want to recognize that. So try not to make her feel worse about what she's going through. You can support her and encourage her to get help, but also recognize where your support stops okay. and she has to help herself. Okay, sure. Thank you for calling. And uh, hope everything goes well. Wish you and her all the best. Okay? Hello? Yes. I was just saying wish you guys all the best. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hello how are you i'm good how are you i'm great thank good. you first i want to say thank you very much for the this uh, very very helpful program and radio well, you and you. your father uh, providing for the persian people well, thank you very much i appreciate that it's our pleasure to do that. Thank you. I had a couple of questions about my 15-year-old daughter. Okay. She is in sophomore in high school, mm -hmm. which uh, we've been through a lot. Uh, and uh, I'm getting help for her uh, with the psychiatrist and okay. therapist both Good. at the same time. For a few years, she didn't want to go. Every time I choose one, she told me it's old, I cannot can kind of connect to them, or this doesn't work for me. So uh, one of them, we just went maybe a few times, it didn't work, and then other one, we went about 10 times, which uh, didn't work for her uh, again. And okay, let me, chose... let me just say something about that, because to me, that's it's a very important point. So when it sure. comes to a therapist, uh, it's very, very important for the person to feel comfortable and to feel like the person understands them and to like the therapist in that way, to feel comfortable, confident, and feel like they can understand them. So when it comes to picking a therapist, whether you're a child, teenager, or an adult, 
it's very important to have that connection. And so especially when we're trying to find a therapist for our child or our teenager, it's very important to let them pick or you can help find people and then let them meet with them and they have the choice to say, I didn't feel very good with him or her or I did. And uh, we have to give them that space because if they don't feel comfortable with the person, it doesn't work. And sometimes age can be a big issue. We talk about male-female. That's very important, too, and can be for a lot of people. But for a young person, if they go into the therapy room, and for many of them, if the person is much, much older than them, they don't feel like they're going to understand them. And if anything, they tend to think, well, this person is just going to be like my mom or dad or see things the way they do, and that's not going to feel very good for me. So if she tells you, I want someone younger, I wouldn't say that she's necessarily just being difficult or... Uh, is making it up, it could be very, very important for her to find someone, of course, not going to be close to her age, but younger so that she feels like they might understand her better. But I want to just make that point because it's so important that the person we choose as a therapist, whether you're an adult or a child, is someone you feel comfortable with. It's not just, okay, this person's a good therapist, so they're good for everyone. There has to be a match. That and then I, uh, I research, I research who, which doesn't matter, whoever, whichever I choose, she finds something to mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. nag about them. Which uh, we went uh, about a month ago, the doctor gave him some medicine uh, which uh, is for anxiety and uh, depression. And then, and how about this? How about this? Tell me what she's dealing with before we get into the treatment and things. So, what even made you want her to see a therapist? Most of it is anxiety. Okay. And um, how how does her anxiety show itself? Where, what what kind of anxiety is it? Separation anxiety? Is it related to school? Social anxiety? What does she have? School, and then kind of she separates herself from everywhere. Anywhere we want to go, I have to kind of drag her to be able to take her most of the time yeah. she comes to me and she tells me she don't she is not happy she, she nothing makes her happy uh, it just uh, especially when the school starts she has very good grade on uh, uh, doing uh, at school which always she's uh, in a straight A's or mm-hmm. A and B mm-hmm. which always I try to tell her do your best whatever you get is fine this is life yeah well, let me, and something I wanted to comment on, because you said um, she likes to separate herself, and I had said separation anxiety, and I'm not saying that you were saying they're the same things, but um, I wanted to just clarify that, because separation anxiety is when a child, or it could be even older than a child. Oh, sorry, I thought you mean uh, she separated herself from... Uh, yeah, that's why I wanted to clarify that, so that people... Uh, yeah, yeah, um, I got yeah, so separation anxiety is when... Children, especially, for example, have a hard time saying goodbye to their parents, whether it's going to school or if the parents are leaving the house and they have this intense fear, oftentimes accompanied with these thoughts of what if they don't come back? What if something bad happens to them? And it can be terrifying for them to separate. So that's the separation. What you were talking about no, that no, she... she didn't right. That much, uh, yeah. of that. Right. So what you're describing is more of a... It sounds almost like social anxiety where she doesn't yeah. like... To be around, and we might say rather than separating herself, we might use the word isolating herself. So she likes to yeah, isolate herself right. away from people and be alone because she can get anxious in social situations. And so it seems like you try to drag her out to become social, which we can talk about uh, b- because of that. Okay, so continue. Mm, second time we went therapist, 
which was yesterday. She didn't want to go. Mm -hmm. I told her uh, we have to go mm -hmm. till you don't have this sentence. Whenever you don't have this sentence, we will stop going. You don't have the, the sentence? She, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not hearing what, what, getting what you're saying. You're saying whenever she doesn't have the sentence? Symptoms of anxiety. Oh, symptoms. Symptoms. You, okay. I'm sorry. I couldn't yeah, hear what you're saying. Okay. So you were saying go to the therapist until your symptoms go away? Yes, exactly. Okay. Now, I would be... Uh, the way you're saying that... It concerns me a little bit because does she, does she want to go to the therapist at all or no? When we stop going, she wants to go. Okay. When we start going, she don't want to go. Okay. Okay. Now, I'd be careful of how you talk to her about what she's going through because when you say your symptoms have to go away, it does right. give this message to her very much that something is like wrong with her, that she's not okay the way she is. Whereas I would... <laughs> Whereas I'd focus less on you need to go because you're a problem and more on I would want you to go because it seems like you're suffering or you're in pain and that could help you. And to me, that distinction is very different. It makes it more about her feeling better rather than her being a problem that needs to be fixed. Does that make sense? Right. Right. So that's something to me that's very important. I, I, and you, if you listen to me on the show enough, you'll hear me say this a lot. I like to tell people you deserve to go to therapy, not you need to go to therapy. Sure, I will do that. So, and I, because, you know, the message you're sending her indirectly is like, you're a problem, something's wrong with you, you're bad, you need to be fixed. Once you're fixed, we can stop going, but you're not fixed and you're not okay how you are and we need to change you. Now, if she tells you, mom, it's really hard for me to be anxious and I have a lot of pain, then it's different for you to say, oh, it might be nice for you to go somewhere where they can help you with that anxiety. That sounds like it's very painful. Let's get some help. Do you see the distinction there? Yes. The difference? I see. Okay. Yes, I see. Yeah, because I think she, you're giving her the message that you're going for us, not for... She's going for you guys, not really for herself, the way you describe it. Yes, you are right on that, because uh, the last therapist we were, uh, she told uh, her sister she was biased, and uh, it was more uh, for me than her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what, you know, with a teenager especially... It's something that I always have to be aware of that they're going to think of you, of me or any therapist as an authority figure, which means they'll see them as the parent in a lot of ways. Of course, even uh, adults will do this too, but especially for teenagers. And so especially when you've probably met with a therapist first, you're the one paying, you're the one connected to the therapist. They sometimes see you just as an extension of the therapist. So they think the therapist is going to be on your side. And sometimes they maybe are. So if she doesn't feel comfortable with that person, if she thinks the person is on your side, not her side, of course she's not going to feel very comfortable with them and not going to want to continue. So it's very important for her to like the therapist. And even before that, we can't force someone to go to therapy. She has to want to go to therapy. If we drag her there, and I always tell parents, I say, I, I don't want you to bring your kid to my office if they don't want to be here because... Therapy doesn't work that way. But doctor, on that side, she really needs help. And oh, I'm not saying she doesn't. I'm not saying, she, yeah. I'm not saying she doesn't need help. I'm just saying she won't even get the help you take her to get unless she wants to be there. And we can't force someone there. Sometimes maybe she's not ready to go to therapy. You can talk to her about it, encourage her. But if she doesn't want to go, you can't force her there. And so you have to be ready for that, that... 
if she's not ready to go, we can't drag her into the office and think just because she's in a therapist's office, she's going to start getting better. If anything, you'll just waste your money and she'll uh, be more uh, disenfranchised or dis, uh, disappointed, I should say, when it comes to um, therapy and so feel like it's not I, about her. Yeah. Yeah. So how I can uh, kind of uh, realize between to, um, taking her and forcing her, because right now is we got to that point she really, really needs to go. Okay, well, and she don't want to go. Okay, well, tell me, when you say she really needs to go, tell me why, and then we can talk about the question you're asking. So give me a more of a picture of what's going on. You say we've gotten to the point where she really needs to go. What's going on? Most of the days, she has really, really bad anxiety, mm-hmm. anger issue. Most of the time, she tells me she don't want, but she really hates me. Mm-hmm. She's mean to everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-everyone-
therapist, we went, she worked on that, which uh, she told me, oh, this is uh, not working for me. Uh, she's working on relationship, but I need uh, someone help with the anxiety and panic attack. Your daughter said that? Yes. Okay, good. And we, you could do both. To the new one. But you can do both. She can have her own therapist and you guys can go together to someone else. It's not one or the other. It's okay if to be two different therapists or we can do well, with the same one. It actually should be two different therapists because um, I won't see the same person individually and then see them as a couple or in a family also regularly. Once or twice, of course, that could happen and you need to do that even as a parent with the kids. But to ongoing have that going on, it's probably not the best idea. I don't do it and I don't think it's right. So it actually, I think, should be two different therapists. Oh, okay. So she finds someone make you know the one that she sees. Both of them she has to like because if, even if it's the family one and she doesn't like the person, she won't want to be there and won't want to listen to them. But it's very important for her to feel a good connection okay. with the individual one and help her find that person. And then also you guys can go together and work on things as a family because you know there's when we look at any issue, it's rarely about just that person, especially in a family when we're talking about a child. So I, I would be very, I think it's very good for you guys to do that. She probably feels like you don't really understand her. Most teenagers think that. And so rather than thinking we're going to go to therapy to fix you, again, it's to make things better between us or to help you deal with the pain that you're dealing with. Not that you're some kind of problem or you're bad or you're the issue, but it just seems like you're in pain. We want to help you. Right. And sometimes she tells me even that she don't want to be alive. That is nothing she is looking forward for it. Well, that that's a very serious thing, and yes, you know we always want to take that very seriously. Something I tell anyone, but especially parents, is that when your child brings up anything related to suicide, you always take it seriously. Now, when I say you always take it seriously, it doesn't mean you call nine one one as soon as they say the word suicide no. or anything like that, but that you have a conversation about it. You let them know, I take this seriously, and what do you how mean? I can come, how, how should I start conversation yeah. about this? Because that, this is the most sure. worrying. Of course. That, that, because and, some uh, mental issue is uh, kind of uh, going on on her dad's side, and then my side, the mm-hmm. depression and, uh, and probably anxiety and... Um, Probably something a little bit more okay. serious thing is going on on both sides. How about this? Because this is very important uh, issue to talk about, I want to get more into it. Let's, let's go to the commercial break, and when I come back, we'll talk about a little bit more about what's going on in general, but especially about how to talk to her about suicide, because I think that's a very important topic. Yeah. So just hang online. We'll talk after the break, okay? Very good. Thank you. Sure. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to her. Caller, are you still there? Oh, yes, yes. I am. Okay. So we were talking about your 15-year-old daughter who appears to be dealing with some anxiety and depression, and you were worried about her. Before the break, you were yes. sharing that from both sides of the family, it seems like uh, from your side and your husband's side, there is a good amount of mental illness in the family backgrounds. 
Yes, whatever I learned from you and your father, uh, I just diagnosed them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so we'll, we'll try to give you credit for those diagnoses, and we won't have to get into the specifics. We won't judge you on the specific ones, but it seems like you're saying there's some anxiety on, on both sides, and you said maybe more uh, on your own side yes, or his side. Yes, on more the dad side, too, okay. which um, they are uh, five, six kids. None of them, they have normal life, and none of them have really a serious job. Including uh, your husband? My side, my side is more depression and uh, OCD. Okay. Well, now, you said none of them have normal lives or jobs, You mean, including your own husband? Yes. Okay. With this, what do you mean by that with him? How, what's going on in his life? It's hard for me to talk about this. Um, it's hard for you. Like it's difficult, or you mean you don't want to talk about it on the air? Probably, I don't want to talk about it in the air. Okay. But um, That's most fine. of the time, uh, yeah, most of them they don't have like a job. They get up in the morning and uh, do work and go home. They okay. do something here and there, but uh, financially they are okay. Okay. And, uh, do you and do you have any other children? I'm sorry. Do you have any other children? Yes, I have one uh, older than her. She's 24. Okay, so pretty significant age difference, about nine years. Yes. Okay. Okay, so in some ways, she was like an only child to some degree, or had, there was such a big gap that they probably weren't so able to be so connected. But okay. Was that a boy yeah. or a girl? Both of them are girls. Both girls. Okay. All right. So you guys had a, a pretty big gap there of nine years. Um and yourself, were you working also? What was your career or your role in their life? Yes, I have a small business. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Financially, we are good. Okay. And, you and know, the dad is uh, completely out of the picture. Okay, so are you guys divorced? Yes, we are divorced. How old uh, were you? Three years. How old was she when she got divorced? Three years, okay. So she was around 12. She was 11. 11, 12. So that's that's still pretty new. And we also, not, that's something that she's been dealing with or has to deal with also. And you said, when you say he's out of the, the picture, what do you mean? He doesn't live He's close back by? home and we don't have any contact with him at all. Okay. What? Why did we that happen? Was part of it was the uh, uh, kid's choice uh, not to contact him because he had some legal issue here, uh, which that kind of... Uh, was hard for the kids to know that has uh, done something like that. Okay. Do you want to share what that is? Mm, I'd rather not to. Okay. <laughs> because it's hard for me to talk about it. But he wasn't a normal person. I'm sure he was uh, very mental. Okay. So it seems like he's we're doing talking about serious mental illness, which, of course, means your daughter genetically has that, but also has had to experience living with him. You guys were together the first 12 years of her life, and even now, having a father not present. I'm glad you're sharing all of that with me, because that's a reminder, or it gives me an idea of what your daughter has been through, which is quite a lot. Of course, you have been too, I'm sure, dealing with all this. But when we talk about your daughter and how much she's suffering, it seems like there's a lot, again, genetically she's been given, unfortunately, in a negative way, and then also what she's experienced between you and her father, and now her father being gone, and some yeah. big legal issues and you're saying he was very mentally ill i'm sure she's had to go through a lot so let's let's uh, another thing doctor i want to mention most of the time she acts 
exact the way he used to act. Yeah, and th- that's actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because now that I have an un- understanding or an idea about the father, sometimes I see this in families because you've seen her father and how he acts, you might have this fear that she's going to turn into him. And because of that, you might even more want to force her not to be the way she is or to go through the things she's going through. Do you feel that sometimes, like you're afraid she's going to turn into him, so you're trying to stop that from happening? Yes, yeah. uh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. And so I can understand the fear and the concern because especially it seems like her father is very mentally ill and of you know genetically she gets 50% from him. So I could see the concern, but you have to be careful not to turn this into because you put so much pressure on her, you actually push her more in that direction or puts more stress on her to become more mentally ill. So she is her, that was her father and we have to be aware of the risk factors and we do want her to get help but we don't want to put an extra pressure on her that you better not turn into your dad or I think you're turning into him. And definitely never say those things to her, please, that you're becoming like him or you are like him or you're acting just like him or you're crazy to like him. To be honest with you, sometimes when she pushes me to the edge, I would mm-hmm. tell her. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's something I would really make sure you don't say because it doesn't okay. stop her from becoming that. So by saying that, you're not going to stop it by saying, oh, you're becoming like your dad, and then she becomes something else. And it's really just a deep sting that you're giving to her. Maybe even you're getting so angry you're saying it to hurt her. But I really would recommend never saying that to her, that you're becoming like him in a negative way. Now, if you guys are having a calm conversation and she's talking about she's worried about this, you could understand she's worried about becoming like her father. That we could understand. But to say it as an insult or... Um, as a way to say, see, you need help because you're like your dad or whatever other way you say it, uh, that's just going to be hurtful. So I'd be very okay. careful not to say that to her. Okay. Now, you know, I do want to talk about something before the break that you mentioned that I, I definitely want to talk about now is uh, the issue of suicide. Right. And I, I talk about suicide on my show a lot because it is such a taboo and I don't want it to be a taboo. We need to be able to talk about it. A lot of times people who are suicidal might show hints of it. And maybe if someone talked to them or intervened, they could have prevented the suicide. But oftentimes we're afraid to talk about it or to ask. Or we think if we ask, we might push them in that direction or have some kind of weird conversation or whatever else we might think. And people avoid it. So if she ever tells you, I don't, you said she said sometimes I don't feel like living anymore or I have nothing to look forward to. Yes. Okay. And what do you say when she says that? Sometimes we will have something different. Sometimes just we kind of she never let me to talk about it. Every time we talk about something, she says, "You are not helping. Don't talk." Mm-hmm. Well, but when the guests things uh, yeah. like once a while, if barely she lets me to talk about it, then I will tell her this is life. We have to be strong. We have to just take it day by day. It's just something, uh, no, like, I try to not to, which uh, exactly how you say it, I try to not, not to kind of highlight that part or mm-hmm. focus to be on that. Yeah. That end up not to talk about it. Right. And that's what, I, you know, I understand what you're saying. That's what a lot of people say. And, you know, someone says, oh, I hate my life or I want to, you know, 
I want to die. And like, oh, what do you mean? You have so much to be grateful for. Your life is so good. People would die to have the things you have and whatever yeah. else you might say to convince them that their life is good. And I'm sure she does have a lot to be grateful for. And the things you said aren't necessarily wrong that we take life day by day. Life is difficult for everyone. There's challenges. But when she's telling you that she's feeling that way, um, not that you agree with her that, yes, you should be suicidal or think about dying, but you do want to show her that you care and even that, wow, that tells me you're in so much pain. So this is, again, what I was saying before of where you want to connect with her at her pain in that yeah. you want to show her that I, wow, that tells me how much pain you're in, if that's what you're thinking. So rather than trying to convince her otherwise, like, no, no, life is good. You have a lot to look forward to. Next yeah. week we're going here. And, you know, this is happening. You want to show her this, I get, I, I can see how much pain you're in. And this is where you can actually not use it just, okay, now I'm going to take advantage of this and tell her to go to therapy. But this is what I mean by connecting with her at her pain, by showing her, wow, that's that tells me you're in so much pain. I really do think you deserve to get some help. That's what makes me worried. And I, And you can even tell her, look, your dad was the way he was and he couldn't do much and you had to go through so much. And even me, I'm trying my best. But I know I can only help you so much, and that's why I think it would be good if you had someone else to talk to outside of the family that can help you. So I would use those moments to, rather than, I, I understand you don't want her to feel that way, so you want to take it away or change it, but recognize yeah. that she's sharing with you something, and you can use those opportunities to connect with her and to get her to recognize that she deserves some help and that she you see how much she's suffering. Because also when you tell her, oh, no, everything's okay, things are fine, you know, whatever else you try to say to convince her, it's also invalidating because at some level she's telling you, I'm in a lot of pain and you're saying, no, no, you're not. You're not in as much pain as you're saying. You're doing better than you're saying. So it does give her the message that you're invalidating her pain. So I would try to connect with her. And it's very scary. You can ask her, like when you say that, you can even ask her, have you ever thought of hurting yourself? Which I know is a very scary question for yeah, anyone to ask, especially as a parent. Because we're afraid of what that answer might be. But we have to recognize that, well, if the answer is the scary answer we're afraid of, it's better for us to know so that we can help or intervene rather than not to know and, God forbid, something very bad happens. So yeah. I would recommend that if she brings that up to say, you know, anytime you bring up, I'm sorry you're feeling that way, and anytime you bring it up, I want it, I'm going to take it seriously. And I'm wondering when you say that, what you mean? Have you thought of? hurting yourself in some way. And then I'll also add this. When we talk about thinking about suicide, there's a whole range of what we can call suicidal ideation or thinking about suicide. On the very minor end or one end of the spectrum, it's thoughts like, gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. I wish I wasn't alive anymore. Or if I were to die today, actually, I wouldn't be that mad because I have so much stress. Maybe it's better for me not to be here. So just what we call passive suicidal ideation. Like, if I died or death doesn't seem so bad right now because I'm overwhelmed. At the un other end of the extreme spectrum is tomorrow morning, I'm going to kill myself in this way. And I've already prepared myself to do it. I've planned it. I've had it ready. I know when I'm going to do it. And that's the other end. But of course, there's everything in between too. We're just thinking more about it, thinking about what you might do, a whole range of a spectrum basically where there's lots of different ways to think and feel about it. So you want to understand where she's at because even as a therapist, um, you know, any therapist will tell their clients that one of the limits to confidentiality is related to suicide. But that doesn't mean that if a client just uses the word suicide or says they thought about suicide, we call the police and have them taken to a hospital. We explore, well, how serious is their thinking about suicide? Is it just 
some thoughts that won't likely lead to actions? Or is it something serious where we need to intervene because this person might take their own life if we let them go home? So with her, you want to explore that. Just say, okay, well, let's see how serious it is, how important it is. But like I said, you want to, as difficult as it is, maintain that connection and have that conversation with her, allowing her to express herself and not being afraid to ask the uncomfortable and difficult questions. And I'm glad you're bringing this up because so many parents deal with this where they, they think, I'm afraid to ask my child that question because what if they say yes and then I don't know what to do? And what you do is, again, it depends on how serious they are. If really they are saying I might go to my room right now and do something and they really mean it, well, you might have to call 911 and have them come and intervene. Or you can just look at more what's going on. Have they thought about it? Do they think of how they would do it? What makes them think about these things? How can you help? What can we do? And recognize that you don't have to do it alone. If it becomes that serious, then you do need to get psychological help and say, look, because of what you're telling me, this is really serious. I think we need to, to see someone and get some help. You don't deserve to feel this way. You deserve right. to get some help. So uh, I hope you can have that conversation with her and also oh, yeah. recognize... Because sometimes people use, you know, when they say even, they might just be saying it in passing, not like as a joke, but they might be saying it just to even get under your skin. So it's not clear what she means by it. But I always say, take it seriously. I'm not going to ever accept it as a joke. I'm not going to ever accept it as you're just saying it. Anytime you use something related to suicide or talk about it, I'm going to take it seriously because it is a serious issue and not something I'm going to ignore. Right. One more thing, uh, Doctor. She's... um messing with her look so much uh-huh. like uh, for a while she uh, colored a tip of uh, her hair her hair which mm-hmm. she has the long hair and she uh, colored it to purple red blue which that was okay mm-hmm. i didn't mind to she didn't do that just i want to she find her way yeah. uh, in life good yeah let her explore those things that's fine the last week, uh, she uh, dyed her eyebrows to pink, mm-hmm. which looked really, really odd. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit more unique, we can say, yeah. Do I need to allow her to do that, or I have to talk, uh, or not uh, let her to do that? I mean, whether or not you try to control it or not... The issue is it seems like she's expressing something. And in teenagers, kids need to, we need to give them that space to explore and try things, shave their head, color their hair. You know, there's no point to try to stop them if you ask me. It's better to let them experience and explore. They're trying to find themselves. Um, it could be, though, you know, with, if it's so extreme, the thing she's doing, it's somehow a cry for help or trying to get, you know, some kind of attention. It, it's hard to say. So I would say... If you're asking if you should stop her, I would say not really because she can find a way to do it anyway. And then it's going to become just another thing you guys can fight about. So I would give her that space, I don't think. But again, to me, it seems like clearly your daughter is dealing with a lot. There is significant mental illness. The way you describe her father, she does have, again, I'm not saying she's going to become like him. But she's predisposed to a lot and she seems to be dealing with a lot. So you do need to focus on getting her into therapy. Not forcing her, but really encouraging her to get some help. Because without it, she's going to be in trouble. So when she shows you her pain, when she connects to you in that way, I want you to try to connect there with her. Not get mad at her, not make her feel bad about it, not make her feel like she's a problem, but feel like she's having pain, she's suffering, and because of that, she deserves help. And that's where you're going to try to help her. 
One more last question. Sure. How about the medicine she's taking? Do I need to have control over, not control, kind of check <laughs> on that or uh, yeah. I let her sheet? What's the medication? Take? I forgot. Okay. Valet, Valetex, Valetex. I forgot. It's okay. a long name. Is it like an antidepressant? Right now. I couldn't, uh, yes. I couldn't uh, find it right now. I wrote okay. it down to ask. That's her, okay. That's okay. Now, are you worried about her not taking it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, because you mentioned suicide, not that I want to scare you, it depends on what the medication is, but we do want to always be aware of overdose. But that's why I would want you to talk to her about what made it, what she thinks about suicide, if she actually thinks about it or if she's just really frustrated and it comes to her mind in a more passive type of a way. Um but, you know, I would talk to her. The control is, with anything, control usually is not the best option. Um, if you can have Which it. Which I know that. Yeah. I know that. Has she been taking, right now, what do you do? Uh, she, she, she asked me to give her uh, medicine. She put them on her uh, nitrogen and uh, for two, three weeks, uh, which she told me she's taking. Other day, just uh, randomly, I went up and then checked. I told her, let me see how many more you have. We have to talk to insurance if uh, we need to reseal this. Uh, which I checked, it looks like she's been taking it. Okay. But uh, she didn't let me to count to see like how many uh, she take. Uh, she been taking. Uh, but kind of, I looked overall, it looks like she's taking it. Okay. What was her reaction to getting medication in in general, was she okay with it? Was she against it? Was she... No, she's okay, and she's okay. Help, telling me it doesn't help. Okay, well, I would. Well, if it seems like she's okay with it, I would say then you don't need to try to change the system you have. And when it comes okay. to, especially if it's an antidepressant, it sometimes can take up to six weeks for it to kick in, and it is very important to take it regularly. And unfortunately, you might take one antidepressant and it doesn't help you, and then you find out you should take another one. So... Um, you want to work with a psychiatrist and see, you know, tell her, you know, if you're feeling like it's not helping you, we can go talk to the doctor again and see if we can, you know, see what he or she says about it. But if, if she's taking it, it seems okay. I wouldn't all of a sudden start to control it and make sure she swallows it or do anything that extreme. It seems like she is taking and that's okay. But psychiatric medication, it's not something perfect where we know if you're depressed, we give you this and it's definitely going to make you feel better. It is sometimes a guess and check type of a thing. So she might have to regularly meet with the psychiatrist or every so often to see what's going on. But one last thing I'll say about even when you say it's working, and it reminds you of something you said earlier about once her symptoms go away. Um, the way you're describing your daughter and the way you're describing the family history, your daughter's always going to have some symptoms. And that's okay. We all do, essentially. You have symptoms of mental illness. I have them. Everyone does. Some symptoms. We might not have a full-blown disorder. But so if you're waiting for her to not be anxious anymore or not be angry anymore, that's not really a goal I would think about or put things in those terms. I would say, well, you want to make things better, manageable, and make her feel better overall. That's good. But not that we make her anger disappear or her sad. And anger should never disappear. We always should have anger, just like we have all the feelings. So I would be just mindful of how you approach that, that... Even in the medication, it's not that, okay, if she's still sad, sometimes the medication isn't working. Or if she still gets angry, sometimes the medication isn't working. That's not what we're looking for. Is We're not looking for 100% elimination. We're looking for improvement. And we're looking for her to feel better. And she can tell you how she's feeling. But just keep that in mind. Sure. Yeah. Thank you very sure. much. Sure. Thank nice you for your call. You. Nice I talking get, to you. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, my it. pleasure. I really enjoy talking to you and wish you and your daughter all the best. Thank you.
Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going into another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back. Let's go to our next caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi. Uh, so, I'm calling on my on behalf of my mom. Um, she has a couple questions I'm going to ask you, doctor. Is that okay? Okay, sure, no problem. Sure. Um, so, it's about my brother, who's 28 years old, mm-hmm. um, but he still lives with my mom. Um, and, you know, he, even though he's 28, he hasn't been showing... Um, Signs that he's matured enough, um, so we kind of are worried about him. He's been dating this girl for the past uh, four weeks, um, and he's bringing her home. Um, you know, the girl is Persian, and you know, but th- she doesn't have any family here. Um, she's coming from a refugee camp in Turkey, um, and she's you know been through a lot. You know, we feel bad and everything, but you know, me and my mom we both don't like that she's dating my brother. You know, they're very different. My brother is a dentist. She just finished um, dental school. And this girl, you know, she doesn't have any education. Um, you know, she doesn't really, she doesn't um, have anything in common with our family. Um, nothing, you know, it's not to judge her, but we basically think that our, my brother can do a lot better. Okay, and so you are judging is, her. I mean, I'm not saying you necessarily don't, you know. I'm sorry? You are judging her, though. I'm not saying you necessarily shouldn't, but that's. You, you are judging. I know, it's hard yes. not to, though. I understand. Uh, there's already a lot of things I'm thinking, but I want to let you finish up. Okay, but go ahead. So you guys sure. think, you don't think she's right for him. Okay. Yeah, and my brother, he's really, um, like, very serious. When he starts a relationship, he basically stays with that person for a long time. She was in a relationship with her um, ex-girlfriend for 10 years. 10 uh, years? He's so, 28, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when did that so, end? Uh, that, the girl was really nice and everything, but they just grew apart. No, but when uh, did that brother, end? He's 28 now, so I'm just wondering. Oh, that one ended that, uh, last year. Okay, so he started dating her around 17 years old? Yeah, okay. so maybe nine years. Yeah, he okay. was 18. So it okay. was, yeah, maybe he was, um, so it was nine years when they were together. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the the thing is, the girl, um, you know... Um, she he really insists that you know we get to know her. She brings um, her in every night, and he stays over at my mom's every night. You know she um, she's come to my house, she's come to my family's house with my brother. And as much as we try to tell you know my brother that you know we don't really like her around, we don't like you to be with her, he's not listening. So we wanted to know: Do we have any rights? You know, to be concerned. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you have know, the, you have the right to feel whatever you want to feel. But now, do you have the right to control him? No. Or to tell him what to do? No. You can't make him do something, especially when it comes to who he dates. So you always have the right to have your feeling and even your opinion. And you can share that with him. But at the end of the day, he has to make the choice. Now, you know, being that he's 28 and a dentist but living with your mother, my guess is... Your family might be, I mean, like many Persian families, a little bit too close or dependent, and people think they have more control over each other. Um, I'm not sure if you... He's saving for buying a house, that's why. Okay. He's staying with my mom, yeah. Okay, yeah, you said he just finished, sure. Well, okay, and so, 
you know, I mean, as as I said, do you have the right? Yes, but will he make his decision? Yes, you can't make it for him. And one thing you have to be aware of is the more you push, sometimes the more you can push him towards her, because what can happen is if he has his own concerns about her, when he knows you and your mom already don't like her and think she's this, that, and the other. He's not going to be as comfortable talking to you about it because he feels like, oh, if I, they already, I have to defend her in front of them. That's what ha- happens. I've seen it happen so many times in just daily life, but also in therapy. A family comes in and they totally don't like someone that their son or daughter is dating and they fight about it in the therapy session. And if I do talk to that individual alone, the, the son or the daughter, sometimes they share that they're not happy about the relationship themselves. They have a lot of issues, but anytime they talk to their parents about it, they feel like they have to defend it because they don't want to be wrong or have them tell them, I told you so, or you know anything like that. So they defend the person. No, they're really good. You don't know them. Our relationship is so good, but really they have problems. So you can let him know your opinion, but you have to be careful that if you bring it on too strong, then even if he does want to come to you with issues he has in the relationships, he probably won't. And you might even push him more towards this girl that you don't want him to be with. Okay. It makes sense. Yeah. So I would be very careful about that. It's only been four weeks. And again, you do have to accept at the end of the day, he's going to choose his partner. It's not your choice to make. He has to choose who he is with. Um, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with him. But rather than making it a lecture of telling him, this is why she's wrong for you, this is why you should be with someone better, whatever else it might be, you can hopefully have a conversation with him where you ask him, actually, before you get into what you don't like about her, ask him what he likes about her. What is it about her that he likes? Why does he want to be with her? What does he think about their future? Are they even looking for a future together? I know you said, you know, you said he chooses girls for a long time, but it was just one other person who was with her for nine, ten years. But really, I would have a conversation with him rather than a lecture. Because if you just go to him and say, here are the ten reasons why she's wrong for you, you need to break up, more than likely he's just going to get defensive and either get mad at you or give you a full-on defense as to why she is good and they are good together. And then from there on out, he won't come to you to say, you know what, actually, I'm worried about this or... I'm not sure if we're right for this reason. So that would be my uh, advice, is to be very aware of how you talk to him about her and the relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I do have one more question sure. about him. Uh, so the other thing is me and my mom kind of are concerned about him with his choice, thinking that you know his uh, confidence might be really low. It, what's um, possible. Now, here's another thing, a theme I see a lot, is that parents... And I'm, I don't know if this would happen in your family, but they'll try to make a lot of decisions for the kids and or even put them down in different ways. And then they complain that when they're older, they don't have self-esteem to make their own decisions and feel good about themselves. So um, we have to be aware of that, that it's not just like in a vacuum. If they have a hard time making decisions or making good decisions, it very often is related to how the family has has treated them. Has the family given him a lot of space to be himself, make his own choices? Or do you see the family as controlling no, we're not really controlling, but him being a second child, I think, uh-huh. um, we always helped him a lot yeah. know, doing everything for him. Well, <laughs> that, know, and that's a problem. Yeah. His paperwork, and I yep. think he's got, got spoiled, and now he's trying to you know, go out of, out of the way and do something against what we think. Well, maybe, <laughs> but even, yeah, yeah. You, know, you said the word spoiled, and um, you know, that word itself has a lot of judgment to it, but it, maybe that's the case. But for me, what's even more important is that when we... We think out of love we do something for someone else. But what I always talk about is we have to be aware is what I'm doing interfering with their growth. 
Because if it right. is, then it's not love. So if someone has to study for a test and we say, because I don't have to worry, I'm going to study for them and go take the test. That's not love because you need to let them grow and experience that. And if they fail, they face the consequences and that allows them to grow. But to go do something for them doesn't actually help them. But very often we do that. And also sometimes we try to do that to make someone dependent on us. If he needs me to do all these things for him, he can never leave me. And so this is something uh, Eric Fromm talks about maternal love and how the essence of maternal love is that actually you love something in a way that it can go away from you. You make it strong enough to leave you, not uh, I'm going to do everything for you to keep you weak and keep you needing me, which is unconsciously what a lot of parents and mothers do. They do that to make them need them. So we have to be aware that, yeah, maybe too much of things you guys thought, oh, he can't handle it. We have to take care of it. And then now when it comes to making these huge decisions in his life, he might be not very prepared. Or maybe it is what you're saying, a reaction to, oh, yeah, you know what? You guys made every decision for me. Watch me make this decision you would never make for me on my own. So we have to be aware of that, too. And that's for anyone listening also to keep this in mind that. If you think you're loving someone by doing everything for them and not letting them do things on their own, it's not a sign of love. It's a sign of you trying to make them dependent on you. And if you truly love them, you have to let them grow and even make mistakes and do things on their own and face those challenges. And that's really what love is going to look like. So uh, that, it could be that's going on too. But now the situations or we can't go back and change the past and say, let's go back and have him make those decisions. You are where you are. You have to recognize you only have, you shouldn't have control over what he does. You can even only have so much influence. But as I said, if I were you, I'd have a conversation where you don't make it an attack on the girl, an attack on the relationship, an attack on him. But you have a conversation with him where it's a back and forth and you let him tell you what he likes. Even you can say, is there anything you have concerns about rather than you getting into your full list of things that you don't approve about her and the relationship? Does anything bother you? I want you to be able to talk to me about what's going on. And you can even tell him. I would present it in a gentle way. I wouldn't attack it. But you can say, you know, I do have my concerns about her. And you don't have to lie and say, I think this is the best relationship. But you have to be aware that if he chooses to be with her and if you're very negative about her, well, then he's going to become more distant from you too because he's like, well, you don't like my girlfriend. I don't want to be around you. So I, I would be very aware of how you talk to him about this situation. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any questions? Uh, let me just make sure mom doesn't have any <laughs> She's okay. No, okay. okay. All right. Well, good luck. Okay. No, okay. thank you for thank calling. You. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes. Um, Hi. You're talking to me? Yes, I am. Thank you for calling. Yes. Hi. Um, thank you for your uh, great program. Oh, thank you. Um, um, my question is... Uh, um, uh, uh, I'm uh, sorry, I'm a little bit... Uh, uh, not myself. Um, I'm just trying to find out more information about uh, autism, um, okay. especially Asperger's, high-function Asperger. Um, uh, I have a 16-year-old that uh, recently was diagnosed with it, and um, it's very confusing for us, uh, especially because um, 
uh, there is a little bit of uh, other uh, problem too, a little bit of anxiety, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and also a little bit of depression, which is, is all together. And uh, our problem is that um, we just don't know enough about it, and also which we we need to find out. But but then also it just makes it hard because um, uh, sometimes the anxiety is more or um, um, more than anything else. So we, we're not sure that how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the uh, the other thing is that. Um, also, my son, he's, he cannot take it in a way, so he, he can't, um, he, he's kind of refusing to accept it. Huh, the diagnosis. Yes. Okay. Well, and, you know, and it seems like even at some level, you're not so sure about the diagnosis yourself. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I should, yes. Right, and that's how, the sense that's I got. It, you know, getting a second opinion is not, um, not a bad idea, just to get more clarity, and just to understand, the issue with a lot of psychological disorders, like you can't just do a blood test and say it's depression, it's autism, it's this or that. And a lot of symptoms overlap. So the differential diagnosis is not always so easy to determine what's what. Is it Asperger's or is it social anxiety? Because um, someone with Asperger's is going to have a hard time socially, but so is someone with social anxiety. Now, it might look different, but we might see it the same way from the outside so it's hard to say exactly what's going on now um asperger's is considered part of the autism spectrum and in asperger's someone unlike someone who has autism they don't have the communication issues actually they can be very good verbally they can speak very well sometimes better than their peers but they do have a hard time in social situations in particular in picking up social cues from other people like if someone is bored or interested, it's hard for them to differentiate and sometimes they, they can't make that connection. So socially, very often, they do struggle. How would you describe your son socially? Oh, um, from a younger age, uh, we, we see that coming, but it's just because it was so confusing because, as you said, he was fine communicating. Like he would just talk to a stranger for 10 minutes about a subject if, if he wanted to. But then the other, uh, the other side of it was that like he, was, he, he never had like, you know, two or three friends, not even one. Like, you know, that he really connect and, you know, they would talk to each other. So, and as he, as he grew, it, it just, he got lonelier and lonelier. Yeah. So we, we were never sure and, right. and he was fine with himself. Like he would, like when you tell him, "Okay, your sister's gonna go hang out with her, her friend. Do you want to do that?" It's like, "No, fine. I'm, I'm fine." So we, we, we had something like that as, as yeah. he was growing up. So you know, you mentioned him talking to adults very easily. Was that something that was always easier for him to talk to adults than to kids his own age? Not necessarily, okay. but we, we did notice that. So that's why it makes it harder. He's like, uh, when we talk to him, that you know, um, you you know, it's it's good to have a friend, and you know, we we're pushing you because we want you to have fun with your own age. And he would say, No, I'm fine. I I talk to everybody in class. I I know a lot of people, but I I'm just not this kind of a person that I invite a person over or I go over or like we hang out. I'm I'm just not like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
So, so there's so he doesn't have a strong desire to be close to anyone. No. Hmm. So he's not. And, and, it's not that he wants to have more friends and he can't, or he gets frustrated about it. Yeah. No. Like he would argue with it. He, he's very good at arguing. Like he would just tell you that, okay, the, in school everybody's in. They have groups, and I don't. I don't feel like I belong to any of those groups. I don't even like those. Like, you know, there's a group that they do this, there's a group that they do this activity, mm-hmm. and I don't like any of them. That was his uh, reasoning. Well, so it's hard to tell, you know, if he's actually at all upset about it or if he actually wants to be alone. I mean, there's things like schizoid personality disorder where they have a lack of interest in social relationships um, and they're very isolated. I didn't get that sense fully yet from him that he's totally isolated or he doesn't want to be around people. I I, I get the feeling he does actually like being around people to a degree but has a hard time with it. Um, Yeah, uh, honestly, what you're saying is like that. Like, when when we look back, like right now he's 16, when we look back, um, it it was very hard to see, okay, there were times that he would say, yeah, I, I don't have any friends. Like, it's like, okay, your birthday is coming up. Do you want to invite some friends? And we would, like, sit down and talk. And it's like, you know, I don't have any friends. Mm. You know, like, there was time that he would admit that he doesn't have anybody. Yeah. He doesn't have any close friends. And that's my, my concern is that he does, it seems like at some, maybe he's he gets an angry and frustrated. So he says, like, he gets mad at the people. But it seems yeah. like he does have a desire. Because some schizoid is very, the, the person really doesn't, has emotional coldness. They're They're just a very non-social person you know they want a sheltered lifestyle they um just don't have really a connection emotionally he doesn't seem that way it seems like he has a lot of emotions and he can be expressive to a degree but he has a hard time making lasting connections and friendships is that now let me ask you something else does he have a hard time or not a hard time but does he tend to get obsessed with different things and then when he does he likes to almost only talk about that topic or that hobby? Um, yes. He, uh, in general, he's mm-hmm. very into computers. Okay. So he would, in, he would spend most of his time on, on computer. And then when we um, talk to him that this is, this is too much of computer and we're concerned, he would come and say, okay, no, I'm doing programming, which he did at, mm-hmm. at some point. He was into programming. So he was just doing that. He would, he would just read by himself. Like he read big books and just learn things, and then he would stop at some point, and we're like, How, what, "Why did you stop? Like, uh, what happened?" He's like, "Oh, I, I don't understand it anymore, and I'm stuck somewhere, so I'm, I'm not doing it anymore." And then we're like, "Okay, we could always uh, find a tutor. You could go take a course," and he would just say no. Okay. He even tried. He, he had a tutor for like a couple months, and then he like, "No, he, I'm not learning anything from him." And then that that stopped. Okay. Now, but, does he? What? And especially when he was younger, would it be hard? Would he sometimes talk about a topic too much? For example, um, you know, I've worked with kids with Aspergers, and they'll get obsessed with something new, and then whatever their obsession is for that week or month, they almost only can talk about that thing. Like they want to talk about that only, and they don't want to talk about other things, which makes it hard for them to connect with with peers because they want to just keep talking about let's say, Transformers and the other kids are talking about something else and he somehow has to bring it back to his topic. Was he that way where yeah. he would get obsessed with something? I understand what you're saying, yeah. but 
I cannot recall a situation like that. Okay. Um, he, he's not a talker. Like, I'm trying to remember. Like, he would like to talk about something, but not not to the extent that you're saying. I understand what yeah. you're saying. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think so. So maybe it's, it's not, it could, maybe it's not that. And that's something that children with Asperger's often have. Sometimes we'll even call them little professors because they'll really learn a lot about a certain topic and they can talk about it for 20 minutes straight okay. more than someone their age and it's a little bit unique and in that way they can even be advanced but again it makes it difficult for them to connect with their peers because there's it's just more of a lecture for example rather than a conversation so there's yeah. something you know it seems like there could be some things related to asperger's that he might have but it's not very clear um yet what did the the psychologist who saw him what did they say were their reasons to give him that diagnosis? Okay, so the, the reason we, we started seeing the psychologist is, is just because he was emotionally really very, um, you know, up and down. And he's not up and down. He, like, we see that he's just being alone. He, he was sad a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, he would say that, like, you know, he's not happy. He, he lost all his interests. So, like, he had certain interests, programming, um, and uh, computer uh, software, like he was into those, and then he slowly lost them. So mm. uh, we, when we uh, start uh, seeing psychologists, he, he said that he doesn't see uh, much of it. Like he, he see a sign of those, but not a lot that he needs, uh, let's say, medication. And then he suggested that let's do the educational assessment, uh, the big one uh, mm -hmm. for him, and he did. And then that's the result of it. Um, uh, that's what he, he came up with the Asperger, high-function Asperger. Okay. And uh, we, we did ask for second opinion because, as I said, he wouldn't accept the result. Like, he would just, he, he got upset. Like, he, when he went over it, he's like, no, that's not me, and mm. that's not true, and the, what he said, uh, it's nothing like me. So we, we asked for second opinion, but... Um, unfortunately, we're on this kind of a waiting list. It's just taking a little bit more time now. Okay. And um, but we are doing that. Good. But well, I right mean, now, yeah, I, I would hope you do that. It's and you know, there's a lot of a stigma attached to any kind of mental illness, but things like Asperger's or autism definitely have that. And people, you know, I'm not saying he has that, but in, if he does, he can be, as the title says or the name, high functioning. He can have a a fairly typical or normal life. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be suffering or have to be isolated his whole life. People can get married, uh, you know, they can have jobs and careers and all sorts of things with high-functioning Asperger's. So it's possible he has it and he still is living his okay life. I mean, living his life okay, I should say, but he seems to be suffering a lot too, the way you described it. And so I would focus on that. And of course, the diagnosis can be important to figure out what's going on and how to help him. But more importantly, that he it would be good for him to see a therapist. He deserves to see someone because it seems like he's suffering. He might need medication. When you say he lost interest, of course, that's a hallmark sign of depression. And that's something yeah. I would be concerned about, that he does have a strong depression. If he was very interested in these things, he loved them, and then he all of a sudden stopped. There also seems to be a, a type of perfectionism, like when he couldn't figure it out anymore, he wanted to put it away. Uh, yeah. You mentioned with the, that, that concerns me too, so he might be putting this high pressure on himself. And again, these things can be related. Someone with Asperger's can have 
uh, anxiety and depression, or it could just be anxiety and depression. So I'm glad you guys are taking it seriously and going to get a second opinion. Uh, let him know that, you know, he's okay, whatever he is. You guys love him no matter what. And you just want to help him so that he doesn't feel the pain he feels, but that you don't want him to necessarily change who he is or how he is. Just, you know, okay. let him be himself. But I'll continue the test. It seems like there could be, there's something going on socially. It, like I said before, social anxiety can can be related, but I didn't get that sense when you say he has a hard time connecting. Um, that does have some features of, or describe some features of Asperger's. And so it's possible he has a very high functioning Asperger's and that maybe he does have a hard time with social cues and understanding how to pick up on things and how to connect and communicate because so much of social interaction is vague. You know, people are communicating. We don't really know what's going on. And someone with Asperger's is going to miss a lot of those cues. And because yeah. of that, have a hard time making that deeper connection of even how to make plans with someone, how to hold a conversation that's very back and forth and both people are enjoying it, recognize when the person wants to go or wants to, you know, end the conversation. And maybe he has a hard time with those things. Do you see him as having a difficulty with those types of things, like the social cues? Yes. Yeah. You do? You yeah. do see that? Like, okay. Uh, yeah. He has a younger sister, and uh, when they joke, like, you're, you know, your joke is not funny or, okay, you know, like, don't do that. Like, I hear between uh, mm -hmm. between them, conversation between yeah. them, that, yeah, we do we do hear that. Okay. But, um, Dr. Fried, uh, um, I just wanted to uh, get some idea, or if you could just give us some tips that right now we are seeing that and we are taking care of that, but... Um, it's, it's very difficult uh, for the whole family that, uh, so he doesn't want to participate in anything. Like he, he just want to be left alone and he doesn't want to do any kind of activity. He doesn't want to be registered in any club or any um, activity either in the school or outside of the school. Um, like we, even like go for a bike ride, we have to have a, like an argument about it. So. And and I know that it's not going to help if we, you know, keep arguing with yeah. him. Or, but we don't know how to, in a in a best way, you know, get sure. him at least until everything uh, gets clear. Like how do, and and if you let him, I if you you know if let's say we're not home, he won't get off the computer. Like he he just want to be on computer. Yeah. Even even his um, schoolwork. Uh, it's, he has hard time doing it. Like he just said, and he said, and he's like, um, I, I can't do it. Like I said, okay, what's wrong? Is it you don't understand? But no, I, I know it, but I just, I cannot start doing it. Hmm. And then sometimes he feels better, and then the homework gets done in half an hour, which mm -hmm. was, uh, which at the beginning we thought it could maybe it's like a five hours homework which he wasn't. Yeah. Now, so, let me ask you, have you seen a change in his, in these things, like in his isolation and his mood? Has that changed significantly in recent times? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I feel like it's getting worse. Like, yeah. Even though we're, uh, right. we're seeing the psychologist, but... Um, he, well, you know, it does sound like depression, that part, worse. and a lot of the disorders, you, you know, it sounds like you just have one. You, he can... The Asperger's can be there, and it could be contributing to depression, too, because he's feeling more alone and he's isolating more. So what you're describing seems like a depression that's growing stronger or becoming more severe. 
And so that is concerning. And I would say continue seeing the therapist. Sometimes when we start therapy, we start to feel worse before we feel better. And of course, if he's going to the therapist that made the diagnosis he doesn't agree with, well, he might not feel comfortable with that person. Was that the person that did the testing? Okay, so you ask him, as always, anyone has to feel comfortable with their therapist. And so if he thinks, this guy doesn't know me, he doesn't get me, he might be resistant to him in general. Um, but, you know, it could be that he does have Asperger's. And if we get a second opinion, and it also confirms that, that he might have to start accepting it. And it doesn't mean something's bad about him, or um, he has to think something differently of himself. But it might actually explain some of what he's dealing with, as far as the social challenges that... It actually isn't his fault. It's something that he really just doesn't, he can't, you know, uh, see something that he needs to be able to see. And he can work on that. There are social skills, trainings, and things like that that can help uh, deal with those issues. So it seems like he's very depressed. And you're right. And I, I know you're getting desperate, so you're trying to fight with him or force him to do things. But I, yeah. I, I would take his depression seriously and that he might even need medication. So it might be worth seeing a psychiatrist. And I, I talked to an earlier caller today, and it's always about not telling them it's because you have a problem or something's wrong with you, but that you're you're in pain and you deserve to get help. So it's something to consider that medication might even be necessary if his depression continues to get as severe as, as it is. But I wouldn't stop with the therapy, with the testing to really understand what's going on and make sure he feels that he's okay being as he is, um, whatever that might be. So we, you know, when he tells you he doesn't want to go, I wouldn't force him. I could tell him, how you feel and tell him that I wonder how you're feeling. And even when he says, I don't want to join any clubs, you can ask him, I'm wondering what is it about the clubs you don't like, or let him tell you a little bit more about what he's experiencing. Maybe he doesn't like the social part, whatever it might be. But you know, your son is dealing with, with a lot and it does. I'm happy to hear you guys are trying to do everything you can to help him, but recognize that it is a pretty big problem. So it's not going to go away anytime soon. And it's going to be something likely he's going to deal with for his whole life. Okay. So, um, um, we, we did ask the doctor that um, uh, the depression, like personally, I, I thought that, yeah, the, the depression is more than anything else, but um, he's saying that uh, he see it in him, but it's not much. But then, as, as you said, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I spend more time with him, I see it more because, like, you know, he here and there he say things that makes me more worried. It's like, um, you know, when I tell him, don't worry, you're going to get better, and, you know, we're going to help you, we're all geared. And he's like, no, nobody can help me. Hmm. You know, things like that. Yeah, he's and getting I'm helpless, like, yeah. And then, like, you know, other things makes me worry. It's like, he's like, uh, you know, if I had a choice, uh, maybe I wouldn't want to be alive. Like, you know, like, he he, 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 he says he's going to want to Well, this is something, you know, that makes me worry. I don't know if you were listening earlier, but a caller brought up uh, a similar type of thing with their child of when they bring up suicide and we always want to take that seriously and talk to them about that what do you you know what do you mean or are you are, are you actually thinking of hurting yourself what's going on have a conversation with him and again use that as a way of getting connecting with him at his pain so that you guys can have a conversation but you know your son is suffering i don't i obviously have never seen him and i'm just hearing your description of him but there does seem to be a lot of depression in what you're describing there and i hope you share that with the psychologist too so he knows what you see and what you're hearing from him because to me that those are clear signs of depression can it be something else sure yeah. but it seems like clear signs of that so i'd continue with that and even ask the psychiatrist or psychologist if uh, you might need a psychiatric referral it might not be a bad idea of course talk to your son about it make sure he's okay with that too um 
but, but there's definitely a lot going on. I'm glad you're getting a second opinion, especially for the diagnosis. The Asperger's could be there, what you're describing. And it seems like you see it yourself. You're doubting it at times, but overall you see it too. So I think that could be it. And your son is having a hard time accepting it. I would see someone else to make it more clear and then be ready that he might react to it again. And then we're going to have to work on that, the acceptance part, because that's going to be a key element in him getting better is accepting what he's dealing with to then get the help he needs. Yeah. Thank you for your call, but w wish him the best. Maybe call back with an update. Let me know. Or if he ever wants to talk to me, I'd be happy to talk to him. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Have a great day. Bye. Too, bye. All right. We'll reach our next commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller, Radio Hamra. You're on the air. Hi, hi, Dr. Halakwi. Thank you so much for your program, and thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. And I'm um, gonna let you know we we started. I started the segment late. We just have about seven minutes or so. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, go ahead. Um, I actually have a very silly question. I apologize from the other. <laughs> Are you saying? Did you say um, silly question? I think it's a silly question. Okay, well, let's <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll decide later, but go ahead. Okay, so I, I just wonder that, you know, uh, how to react when you go to these parties, especially Iranian parties. There's usually, there might be a lady that is uh, very loud and mm -hmm. very sexy clothes and very show-off, and basically she wants to take the attention of all the men in the party and uh, she's mostly, majority, they are actually married or they are engaged. And they want to get the attention of the men. And they, they got it. And they, they, they get that attention. So when I see my, you know, my husband or friends, everyone is looking at her, making conversation with her. And she's the one that is, wants to be the center of the okay. attention for the whole right. party. Okay, so... And I, I yeah, don't know ahead. how to react to these kind of situations. And after the party or during the party, talk to my husband or, I mean, I, I don't know how to react. So let, you know, and this is not a silly question because you're talking about the issue of it's related to things like jealousy, which is a very important question and a topic that we should talk about. But we want to look at... It there's a lot of different ways to look at this um to begin with do you yourself recognize that you feel threatened by i don't know if you're thinking of a specific woman or these women at these parties mm -hmm. do you feel threatened yeah. that your husband wants them more than you that your husband would leave you for them or will cheat on you with them what do you feel i don't feel he's gonna cheat on me or something i'm just thinking that she's she's showing it off and mm -hmm. yeah she's and I'm not wearing the same clothes as she's having, and I'm not religious at all. But she's a show-off, and I'm not. I'm a very modest and moderate person. So, uh, And I see that she got his attention, too. So sure. it is kind of jealousy, but it's yeah. not something that I'm concerned that she, he's going to cheat on me. Um, okay. So I what just you... don't like the attention that he gives her. Well, okay. That that's actually what I want us to focus on. So we're focusing on this other woman or women. When I would bring it back to you yourself, and then your husband, and you guys together. That's what really matters because, you know, where you're going to go, and there's going to be people that are good looking. There's going to be people that are going to be dressed, you know, in revealing ways. All those things are going to exist out there. But what's important is how 
you feel and also how your husband acts and how that makes you feel. Do you feel like your husband gives these women too much attention or attention that doesn't make you feel good? Uh, yes. Uh, I think he, he doesn't give extra attention. Like, like he's just normal, but I don't like that. Um, to me, she, she is trying. These are the men are the baits <laughs> for mm-hmm. her. And sure. my husband becomes one of those baits, and I don't like that. Well, sure. That, that's, that, I could understand it's not a good feeling. And there's always going to be that bait out there for men and for women. Uh, you know, it's going to mm-hmm. always exist whether you're around or you're not. Um, I can understand you don't like what they're doing or this person is doing. You're saying they want that attention. On some level, though, you must recognize that you also wish you were getting the attention she's getting. Maybe you don't want to do what she's doing, but there is also an envy there of, I wish I was getting all the attention she's getting, or maybe I wish my husband would look at me the way he's looking at her right now. And that's something else you can look at even in your own sex life with him and how you feel. Does he desire you? Are you um, having a relationship with him where you feel very desired? But we have to accept that there's going to be people out there who always will want the attention. Sometimes it's just attention. Actually, some women... Uh, who are histrionic, who it seems like that's what you're describing as someone who's center of attention, can dress very provocatively, can act provocatively and flirty with lots of different people. Oftentimes they don't actually act on it and become and act in a what you might call promiscuous way. So it might just be about the attention. But you do have to recognize there does seem to be a feeling of insecurity you have. And you're saying you don't think your husband's going to cheat. And you also said you don't feel like he gives them extra attention. So it's not like he, he talks to them or flirts with them back, does he? No. No, he doesn't. Okay. No, he doesn't. I just don't like the how to react. I don't know that to make fun of that lady or when I'm talking to my husband that, oh, look at her. What is she doing? Right. Or so have, even, you know, even when you say that, so we want to look at, you know, you, you can talk about the what you should do as far as an action but really we want to first understand what you're thinking or feeling or even your intention. Because when you say that, when you say I want to make fun of her to my husband, it almost seems like you want him to be on your side as in like we don't like her or he doesn't like that. You want him to tell you I don't like her. I'm not attracted to her. I don't like how she's acting. You know, even maybe say something, oh, the way she's acting is actually ugly because it's too provocative or whatever, right? You want to hear something like that from her. That's exactly, that's exactly what I like to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, so in general, how do you feel about how he feels about you? Do you feel like he desires you? He wants you? He loves you? He does. He yeah. We have a very good relationship, so okay. there's no there is no issue there, and he adores me, so I have no issues there. Okay, well that's but, very good. And you know, I wish I know you said this is a silly question, um, which even itself the way that you called it a silly question makes me think a few things. We just have about a minute left, so I, if you wanted to call another time, this could be a good topic to talk about because although many people might not want to say this or say, talk about their insecurity or feeling this way at a a, a dinner party at a party people are feeling these things the threat of uh, infidelity the feeling of jealousy is to a degree a natural part of being human and being in a relationship now the degree matters if you're constantly jealous and controlling that that can hurt the relationship but to have some feeling it's actually can sometimes be healthy in a small dose a couple weeks ago i talked about the book mating in captivity And she talks about these energies or these feelings that we have. I shouldn't say energies, but feelings that we have where even recognizing that our partner could leave us, not that we feel the threat and we feel that we're going to get abandoned, 
could remind us of the excitement of having that person rather than feeling bored. Not that we have to create that, but that we have this constantly, there always is that feeling, as she puts it, the influence of the third, this other person. So it doesn't have to be an unhealthy or horrible thing. But I want you to think more about this, and I do have to wrap up the show, and I hope you will call another time, about is there some kind of insecurity you have that although you're saying he adores you, do you still feel like you need more attention or want more from him? Do you feel insecure about him or threatened in some way? Because if you don't, then it just seems like you don't like that they get his attention or they're trying to get his attention. But if you feel like he's okay, that he's not going anywhere, then I would hope you can recognize and be like, okay, well, of course, there's always going to be attractive people, provocative people. Um, I'm not, you're not going to be the most anything. You know, if you think you're the most beautiful person in the world, obviously you're not that. And he's, you're not with him because he's the most handsome person in the world. So we recognize that there's always going to be others out there, but our partner does choose to be with us and loves us and only wants to be with us. And so there's a lot to look at here. And like I said, it's not a silly question. It's a good question. I hope you will call back with this not silly question and we can talk some more. Okay. Sure, sure. Thank you so of much. Of course. Have a, have a great day. Great Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thank you all the callers and listeners and Edris who is in the studio with me today. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. Have a wonderful day.